Our reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, uh, please do turn to the passage. And I want to draw out a couple of points from it this morning. Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your presence here, Lord. And we ask that you would increase your presence, intensify it, Lord, in our lives and in this church family and as we go from this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last week we celebrated... Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that birthed the church. And it's interesting reading through the book of Acts that there's only one subsequent direct reference to that event in the rest of the book. There are one or two oblique references, but only one direct. And I've been musing on that this week. And it seems that the First church, the early church, the New Testament Pentecostal church, doesn't sit around analyzing and describing and basking in the warm glow of the experience that they had at Pentecost. But they quickly move to the outworking of that experience. Whatever it was that happened to them, it put them to work straight away. The spirit of Pentecost propels the church forward, not backward, forward and not inward. And that's the perspective of the book of Acts. It's always now and what's new and what's next. It's called the book of Acts, not the book of abstractions. And this week I've been reading this passage that we've just had read to us that you might like to turn to on your phones. No shopping in the sermon. Acts chapter 2, <laughs> verse 42. And this is the first description of the church that the Holy Spirit has brought to birth, that has created. And as I read it this week, I was particularly struck by one word that starts every sentence. And that word is the word and... Some English translations omit it altogether for a kind of smoother translation into English idiom, but it's definitely there in the text. And the word and is a conjunction that carries and continues one passage into the next, one event into the next. It's connective and it's also cumulative. Now, I don't know about you, but I was taught at school that you should never begin a sentence with the word and. 
Anyone else here taught that? Ancient Hebrew and Greek often starts sentences with and. It's a way of kind of indicating that here's a new thought, here's a new sentence. Our resident Greek professor, Susan Griffiths, tells me it's a bit like saying um on the page. I rather like that. But I think that Luke's use of it is actually different. And there's an energy and there's a drive and it's signaling that something is developing and distinctive. And Luke writes the history of the early church acts and he employs this word more than any other writer of the New Testament or the Old Testament. He quotes, he uses the word and actually 1,836 times. Now that's a lot of ands because there's a lot going on and there's a lot that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and there's a lot that the Apostle uh, Luke is recording. He's meticulous in his writing. His and is not so much a punctuation as I think a punch. Some of you will know the sixth volume of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and now uh, and another thing. Is, is the title of it, and another thing. And I kind of think that Luke is writing Acts, which is really, and another thing. And God is doing another thing through the church who is doing another thing. And as I've reflected on this this week with the team and with Stephen, we just believe that this is a season in the life of our church for an and. That God's hand is in the and. And that God is doing another thing. He's doing new things. They're exciting things. We're not drawing a line and dismissing what is before, but cumulatively we are adding to it. This is the church on the move in the power of Pentecost. Well, let's look at this church and let's look at a few of these ands. Firstly, and the church was marked by great commitment. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to. And then we have a, a long list of things that they were devoted to. But this was one of the characteristics, the hallmarks, the features of the spirituality of the early church. Nothing cynical about them whatsoever. They were all in. They were devoted. The word devoted means given up wholly to, dedicated. Literally, it means to stick to. They were stuck to this. In the Old Testament, the concept of devoted was applied to sacrifices that were set apart for God. A person devoted something, an offering in worship. But here in the New Testament, the word is applied to the people. It is they themselves who are set apart. They themselves who are devoted. They themselves who are given up wholly to the community and to God. I read an account by one playwright who was rather sneering at a priest he met at an a, 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 a evening dinner party. And he described this priest as drier than the driest martini. I think that's dry. Although I don't think I've ever had a martini. But I think it's dry. But these early Christians, there was nothing dry about them. 
I mean, they were all ablaze. They were all fire. They were all passion. I read a book about the early Methodists here in Oxford in the early 18th century, a movement that sprang up here initially among the students as a result of the ministry of uh, George and John Whit uh, Wesley and George Whitfield and uh, John and Charles Wesley. And in fact, I was reading an account that said Whitfield, by Whitfield, preaching in this church, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church, preaching in here, 1739, the church was rammed, and it said there were so many students in their gowns, I called them gownsmen, all around the outside of the church, listening in at the window. There was just passion and enthusiasm. The word enthusiasm actually means in God or God in, entheos. And some of these students who got caught up in that were actually kicked out of the university. And I was reading, it said, their enthusiasm got them sent down. But imagine that. They were so passionate, so on fire, so committed, so dedicated to God, they got kicked out of the university for causing. Anyway, we don't encourage that, we don't advocate that, we don't want that. But it's exciting, isn't it? Devotion was not commanded, it was freely given. They're not told to be devoted, it's freely given because of their experience of the love and of the power of God. Because Jesus was present to them by their spirit. He was all there with them and they were all in for him. Now given the church's track record at times, it's understandable that some are cautious about commitment. And they fear a power play, they fear control, and I get that. And the church must be an open door and a soft edge and room for people to freely explore. But the commitment of those first Christians is inspiring and illustrative for us. They had met with God and they were all in. And we want to meet with God here we want his presence to be so tangible here that we're all in for him. You know, the New Testament church was unmissable. And that was because God was so powerfully present. And that's our dream and our prayer. And that's what we're working and giving our effort to here at St. Aldate's. We want to make St. Aldate's church unmissable in our community and not because of its programs or its personalities or even our cool parties, but because Jesus is so manifest in this place and in this community. So that's the first stand here. They were devoted, they were committed. Secondly, the church was marked by a great communication. God spoke to them and they spoke to God. Quite simple, it seems. God spoke to them through the apostles' teaching. The apostles devoted themselves to teaching. They taught what Jesus had taught them. They instructed people to obey what he had commanded them. And they responded in devotion and in prayer. We have that teaching at our fingertips. What the apostles taught, they're still teaching. We've got it here written down in the book. We've got the Gospels about Jesus. 
We've got the epistles about how we live as church in response to Jesus. We need to be a people here devoted to the apostles' teaching. I, I had a Bible that uh, began to fall apart after about 18 months. I think it wasn't made very well, but it had a lifetime guarantee. And so I sent it in to the makers. I said, it's got a lifetime guarantee, but it's fallen apart. And they wrote back and they said, your Bible has suffered extreme use. <laughs> and I loved that. I thought, well, it hasn't really. It's just one of about 30 that I've got. I've just used it a bit extreme use. Maybe the manufacturers of these Bibles don't expect us to be reading them. But I want this to be a church. We want this to be a church where our Bibles suffer extreme use. That's what was happening in that early church. And then having heard from God, God heard from them as they turned to prayer. It says they were devoted to prayer. 34 times in Acts it says that they prayed. They were always talking to Jesus. They were always talking about Jesus. Sometimes when we hear the word prayer, we think the word failure. I know I do. I kind of feel I'm like, a, I'm like a paid professional Christian. You know what I mean? I'm a priest. I want to pray more. But I've often found prayer difficult. But I think we're in a season, I certainly am, where I'm finding prayer exciting. And rather than it being an ought, it's something I want to do. Rather than being a burden, it's an adventure for me. And I think that in this season, God is wanting to encourage us to be a community that is marked by prayer. Every Wednesday evening, last week of each month, we have a prayer meeting here. I've never been to prayer meetings packed to the gills. But come and see the church at prayer. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us and he's listening to us as we speak to him. We pray not because we must, but because we can. And what a privilege that is. Pastor Bonhoeffer, who was murdered by Hitler, when he was in prison, he concluded that we needed a new way of doing church. And he said church needed to be stripped back of all its kind of religious baggage. We needed a religion, uh, uh, he called it uh, religionless Christianity. And then he said this, being a Christian today will be limited to two things, prayer and righteous action. I'd add a couple to that, but prayer and righteous action. And let this be a community that prays. And then having praise goes out and does. And then thirdly, the church was marked by its great community. It says, and they were devoted to fellowship. It's an unusual word, fellowship. I think we need a better one. But they met daily in the temple and daily from house to house. The Spirit fell on them as individuals. The Greek text in early chapter 2 makes that point. It came on each one like tongues of fire. But having fallen on each one like tongues of fire, it forges them into a people, into a community. And the individual is not diluted or sublimated into the collective but rather placed in a family and in a people and in a community where that individual 
flourishes and becomes all that they can be. The focus was not so much on the place they attended. They met in the temple, they met in the homes, but on their life together. And the New Testament actually shifts the perspective from God in the temple to God in the people who are the temple. That's the move that it makes after Pentecost. Not the building, it's the people who God is building into this wonderful community uh, that brings glory to him and blesses the world. The church met in huge celebrations at the temple, but they often met in their homes. Religion was not building-based together in the big building, although they came for that. But it was broken up in the week as they spent time together worshipping God. And we want to be a church like that at St. Aldays. We want to put everything we can into Sundays and our big gatherings and our celebrations. We want people to want to come on a Sunday to worship God together. But we also want to encourage people to be meeting weekly. I think day, every day is a bit neurotic. That's what they did. But they thought the Lord was about to return. But weekly in smaller groups where they can do life together and encourage one another. One of the words here, this word translated fellowship, is an interesting word. The Greek word, some of you will have heard it, is koinonia. And it's actually a word that was borrowed from usage, often used to, for marriage. It was, it was used in, uh, of those who were wed together, doing life together. And this is the first reference in the whole Bible to fellowship, to koinonia. The Spirit is not just about us having an experience and us receiving gifts. And often the charismatic and Pentecostal movements that we've been part of have, have, have got this wrong because they focused on the individual experience. But that individual experience gives us something to bring to the community. We live in a society that's deeply fractured, post-Brexit, post-devolution, post-COVID, isolationism and individualism and tribalism and fear of contamination and all of that. But we're the church. We're the koinonia. We're the fellowship. God bringing people together to do life together, to love one another, to flourish. And what a beautiful and powerful and prophetic sign that is to our world. And we want wide open doors so other people can see and other people can join. And this koinonia, it's, it's not just sentimental, it's practical. Verse 44, the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and property they shared with anyone in need, which means there was no one in need. But when they got to church, they said, what do you need? And people would say, and others would step in and meet that need. Koinonia was not sharing the peace after the children went out. It was giving a piece of what they had so that someone had all they needed. Not communism where the state owned everything, but community where people held what they had lightly and saw the need in the other and shared. In a, in a consumer society, it's stuff that matters, but in a church of Pentecost, it's people that matter. Fourthly, and the church was marked by great communion with God. 
Verse 42, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And it's repeated again, verse 46, breaking bread from house to house. The word there for breaking of bread is the same word that Luke has used earlier for the Last Supper when Jesus broke bread. This is the event that would develop and become the central event in their liturgical service of Eucharist or communion, the Lord's Supper, coming to the Lord's table, what the Catholics call the Mass. They brought the the sacred into the secular every day in a shared meal. They remembered Jesus. And in the staple of bread and wine, This becomes the locus and the focus to honor Jesus and to host his presence with them. In lockdown, the sacrament was withheld from us and we felt its loss because this is the bread of life. This is food for the journey. This is Jesus giving himself to us. This is a remembrance of Calvary. This is expectation of glory. And here in this meal, in the church, that the Lord hosts, he gives himself to us. I'm really excited to come to the Lord's table in a moment. They were excited every day they had him. John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote this. My mind is conquered and overwhelmed by the greatness of this thing. Nothing remains but to break forth in wonder at the mystery which plainly neither the mind is able to conceive nor the tongue express. What a thing. We're going to come shortly to the table. What a thing where God gives himself to us and there is communion with one another, a shared meal together and communion with God. And then lastly, the church was marked by a great commotion. There was nothing sedate or calm about the New Testament church. There was no pastoral kind of bucolic image of sheep and shepherd in a meadow. I like what the poet Annie Dillard says. She says, we shouldn't wear a bonnet hat to church. We should wear a crash helmet. (laughs) I like, it feels like that with the young'uns running around sometimes, but... It should feel like that because God is here. We come with our crash helmets because God is powerfully present in our midst. It's going to be an act, not an abstract. It's an event. It's an encounter. God's power is present. And all these things are listed here. It tells us that God's glory was tangible. Verse 43, awe came upon everyone. Not bore. I was brought up in church. It was bore that came on me, but B-O-R-E. But here, awe, because God was so powerful. And there was a sense of holy, reverent fear and wonder. When people came into the church, they said, truly, the Lord is in this place. And we've had a little of that here at St. All Day. We've had a bit of late. People coming into the church, inexorably drawn. They haven't even been invited, but God has drawn them here. And they've come in, and they've been overwhelmed. What is this? Who is this who's drawing me? And some have come to faith. We had an amazing story last week. Awe, his glory. And then his power was evidenced 
It says many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Many signs and wonders. We see very few. But we're seeking God for more. And we're going to keep praying and keep seeking his kingdom and keep blessing. We had a student healed of a knee disorder uh, a couple of weeks ago. I received emails this week about various things that God had done in people's lives, healing situations, healing emotions, and so on. But we are asking God for more. And the more we seek him, the more he will come to us, more immediate and more powerful, more tangible. And I think we will see in these coming months and years more of his power and signs and wonders. I pray that. And then we're told the outsiders like what they saw. It says they had favor of all the people. Church hasn't always been the best advertisement for Jesus, has she? We've often let the Lord down. But a church in the power of the Spirit is a church that's beautiful and attractive and makes a difference and is salt and light and that people are drawn to. And we want to be a church that works for the good of society, good of our communities, whoever we are, wherever we find ourselves Monday to Friday, in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our offices, bringing blessing, giving out the favor, the grace that we receive on a Sunday we're given away all week. And then lastly, growth. Verse 47, the Lord added daily to their number those being saved. Now listen, St. Aldates, we are in the numbers game. We're into numbers because God was. He's even got a book in the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> and numbers matter because numbers represent people. They represent people. And we want people to get saved. 3,000 were added to the church on the first day with the first sermon. The first church was a mega church. The very first church. You know, the Church of England loses 3,000 people a week. And we've got to do something to reverse that. The average Anglican church, bless them, has 29 adults and two children. It's the average church. 8,000 of them in Britain have 30 people, including two children. So we are blessed, and we don't take that for granted. And we thank God for all that he has given us here but this is just a small fraction of the number of people in Oxford. We've got a few hundred students, but there are 50,000 in Oxford. And we want to reach them. Numbers matter because people matter, and we're going after them with the gospel. I read this week uh, an article has just come out by a mathematician, Dr. John Hayward, whose research shows that every denomination in Britain, bar two, is facing extinction. But here we say, not on our watch. Not, not while we've got breath in us to cry, behold the Lamb, and to pray, come Holy Spirit. So what sort of a church do we seek to be? We want to be a church that looks for God's hand in the and. Word or spirit, and. 
denominational or ecumenical, and sacramental or word, and social justice or evangelistic, and missional or discipleship, and alpha or Bible studies, and central celebration or small groups, and students or families, and singles or marrieds, and God's hand is in the end. And we're excited for the next and for us. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to come to the Lord's table.